Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm very excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with all of you. Got a packed show for you today. Got to, of course, wrap up the series against the Phillies, another series win for your Colorado Rockies. Want to talk a little bit about Brendan Rodgers, a little more about Brendan Rodgers, I should say. I think it's on everybody's mind. Got some more thoughts about Charlie Blackman and how much he's been playing in the field. And, of course, a little bit of a Tigers series preview for you as they begin in Detroit this evening. But before all that, since last we spoke, the Colorado Rockies have inked hometown hero starting pitcher Southpaw Kyle Freeland to a five-year deal That'll pay him roughly $13 million a year in annual average value. This is, I I think, you know, it's pretty funny that there were a couple of people trying to play the role of negative about the Kyle Freeland deal on, on the day it happened. And you know what? Good on them. Fair enough, because it's a very difficult role to play. I, I will say, when you look very deep, once you get past the how much he means to the organization, him being the leader, and you know that most of us who've really watched him throughout his entire career believe at the very least he's going to be solid for you for a while. When you look at certain numbers, you can start to get into like is thirteen million a year when Marquez is making closer to nine or ten. You know some of the and, and, and he's had better seasons, individual seasons in terms of strikeout stuff, certainly, you know, outside of Freeland's 2018, he hasn't really been an elite major league pitcher, but 13 million a year is also not elite major league pitcher money. It's above average major league pitcher money. And he's got a 117 career OP, or sorry, not OPS plus, no, not, not at the plate, uh, an ERA plus. He is after all a pitcher. And so that is the stat we want to use. And so Kyle Freeland obviously means more than his statistics to this community, to this team. I've talked about it. I've written about it. I've talked to him about it. He tweeted out a statement today. You know, he's got the mountains and 5280 and, you know, I'm for my city, like tattooed, literally, not not, not, not a figurative tattoo. I'm sorry, when he says he bleeds purple, that's figurative, right? He doesn't actually bleed purple. He bleeds the same color as the rest of us. Uh, that's how he opened his statement. But he literally, <laughs> in the true definition of that word, has the mountains, the the Rocky Mountains, and and fifty two eighty, of course, mile high, and and all of those things like on his body. It, it is a part of who he is. He grew up here. You know the story by now. He is Denver's own, and he wants to continue to be. It was weird that they had gone into arbitration there for a minute, but I think it was because this was happening and there was no reason to go into doing the the single year thing because they knew they were working on a multi-year deal. This is actually something the Rockies have done before. And like uh, it, it happened with Charlie Blackman almost exactly this way, actually, where people were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they're going to enter into arbitration with him. And they can't, haven't come to contract details. And, and then about less than a month into the season, they ended up announcing his big extension. So Kyle Freeland gets the extension. I think it's well-earned. I think it's well-deserved. I think you may end up looking back on it historically and saying, yeah, they paid him a little bit more than his numbers suggest, but you're going to make up for that. 
with everything else that he brings to the franchise, with the institutional knowledge he has about pitching at Coors Field and away from Coors Field and the going back and forth and everything that you can do there. And as we've talked about before, his his competitive nature, you know, the, the kind of stuff that you can't teach. He doesn't have Armand Marquez's stuff. He doesn't have Antonio Sensatella's stuff. He, he doesn't have John Gray's stuff, right? But he has figured out a way over the years to find his success, to find even consistent success. I know he's not off to the best of starts this year, but really when you go back and you look at those first two outings and the kind of weak contact, BABIP luck that was going on there, you don't expect to see that over the course of the year. Also him being on a strict pitch count, he's going to lock it in. Is he ever going to be in Cy Young contention again? Probably not, though Again, the guy's competitive spirit is such that if he does lock it in with his best stuff for a long enough period of time, that can happen. Really what the Rockies are paying for here, though, is more stability, more steadiness, and more of just this giant you know, bat signal in the sky, except shaped like a baseball or the Rocky Mountains or something, I guess, the CR symbol, right, in the sky that just says, this is who we are and this is who we're going to be. So if you are either on the team now and thinking about signing for the future or you're going to be a free agent in the next couple of years, you know that you're joining the team of Chris Bryant and Ryan McMahon and Kyle Freeland and maybe a handful of others, right, that they've kind of... Now, these other extensions have been shorter for guys like Sensatella and Crone. No, it sends us a couple of years, but either way, the point, right, and, and they've been very clear about this. In fact, uh, Zach Rosenthal from the front office and Bill Schmidt, and, and he just echoed something Bill Schmidt has been saying, and that's it. In fact, he even framed it as such that, yes, they're doing this on purpose. It's not us reading into it. They want to solidify the core, uh, you know, a lot of them being homegrown guys, obviously Chris Bryant not being homegrown guy, but that's exactly what they're doing is saying, hey, okay, we, we've got some stability here. We've got some pieces to build around for the future. So we're trying to compete now, but we're also sending the message loud and clear to everyone who's here and everyone who maybe would, would like to be here, who, who would think about it, that this is the type of team that they're going to be joining, right? And that it's also the type of team that is going to fairly compensate players who either have achieved massive success elsewhere, Chris Bryant getting paid what he's worth, or guys like Ryan McMahon and Kyle Freeland getting paid what they've been worth with the understanding that, hey, you know, if you if you never quite become that, that star player or whatever, this is a little bit of an overpay, but because we know you're such a good clubhouse presence, you're such a great captain, you're such a good guy. And, you know, that there are certain intangibles with Ryan McMahon. It's his defense, with, um, which is a little bit more tangible, but our numbers on that are still really not good. But the, the, the things that bring up the floor, right, for Ryan McMahon, it's his defense. For Kyle Freeland, it's his competitiveness. And so you're willing to make those investments, even if by the numbers they end up being an overpay. And, of course, there's the possibility that they go the other way. Either one of those players absolutely has the ability to end up being worth quite a bit more than their contract. And so... You got to love this move for the Rockies. You got to love this move for Kyle Freeland. That's big life-changing money for him and his family. I don't forget that at the end of all of this, there's a person behind it who just got rewarded for a lifetime of work that he has put in. And, and certainly from our perspective as fans and analysts and people who have known his professional career, you know, quite a bit of work since then, just to go through the minors, to go through the ups and downs of his major league career so far, to bounce back from the 2019 that he had and have very, very solid campaigns in 2020 and 2021. 
like I said, off to a slow start here this year. But I think that this is a really good move for everybody involved. And the one last thing I want to say on it is that it also continues to solidify what is basically the mantra of the season. What has really been echoed, I wrote about it in spring training. I talked to Ryan McMahon, Carlos Estevez, and Kyle Freeland about it. Uh, CJ Crone recently, I wrote about that on milehighsports.com. He's echoed those sentiments to me, and I've seen it in a couple of other places. People have written about what he's had to say. And the mantra is, we all want to be here. We want to be Rockies, and we believe in this team and their ability to compete. And it's interesting, you know, because I I always really struggled with this because I know that I can be a little hypersensitive to things like this, and I know that if I had a teammate who on more than one occasion had complained publicly to the media that he didn't feel like his team was good enough, and if I had a teammate who I knew, and it later came out publicly, was texting video of themselves to another team and saying, please get me out of here. But then that guy's still around for two years. Like, that would bother me. Now, I'm sure there are some people who would be in the clubhouse and say, hey, I'm a professional. I'm getting paid. He's getting paid. I don't care. We're here to do a job. It is what it is. There are absolutely people who were not bothered. And in case you're wondering, (laughs) for the two people who aren't quite sure what I'm talking about, Nolan Arenado's behavior probably didn't bother a lot of people in the clubhouse, but I know it bothered others. And one of the biggest pieces of evidence that I've seen for that, other than, you know, again, I I was in that clubhouse for years and I'm not outing anybody and I'm not doing this because ultimately I, I don't think it's, this isn't about good guys and bad guys and who did things they shouldn't have done. For me, I'm interested in the quality of the baseball team. And I think that the, atmosphere of the clubhouse impacts that and I don't think there's anybody who covers the Rockies regularly or who's who played on that team who would tell you any differently than that the clubhouse had gotten toxic the last couple of years and yes that was largely because Nolan Arenado their best and most most important player theoretically their captain did not want to be there and everybody knew it he made it abundantly clear right up to the moment when he demanded a trade now a lot of people believe and there there's a degree to which i agree that he had every right to do that in fact he probably should have done that for the betterment of his own career or whatever okay sure that's an argument to be made if you're thinking about things only from nolan arenado's perspective but thinking about things from the perspective of everybody else in the clubhouse that just impacts how you play the game of baseball. And I think that's a huge reason why the 2019 team that quite frankly was far, far too talented to have finished with the record that they did, finished with the record that they did. That's how you play under your talent level when people don't want to be there. So I don't think it's a coincidence that Freeland, Crone, McMahon, Steves, I'm sure a few others. Those are just the people that have said it to me on the record. And it's and, and I've seen it to several other people. You know, they're they're not being shy about it. And they're not saying, hey, screw those guys who were, were here before. That's not even what it's about. But it's hard not to compare and contrast. 
And everybody in that clubhouse right now, when the guy hitting fourth, when the big bopper C.J. Crone who's leading the league in home runs and RBI, and he's hitting right in the middle of your order, and he's a big presence in the clubhouse, and he wants to be Not only does he want to be there, again, go and read my story. He's thankful to be there. He, he played on five different teams in five years, and the Colorado Rockies reached out and said, we believe in you. And then when he performed for them, they rewarded that with a two-year deal. That's how it should be done. Now, all these other teams trying to screw everybody they can out of contracts, lowballing everybody, trading guys the second they might have a prospect who can also do it. You know, and Crone just goes, hey, I want to be here. So that has really become the mantra of this 2022 team. We want to be here. We want to be Rockies. And we want the Rockies to be great. And I know that sounds ridiculous to a lot of people, and they've got a long way to go toward proving the doubters wrong. Absolutely. But it it is a breath of fresh air, and it is absolutely a change in attitude where you don't have people in there basically saying, I don't believe in this group. I don't believe in, in my teammates. And I know a lot of people said that that was an unfair interpretation for me to put it that way. But I'm sorry, that's just the logical interpretation. That is both what Nolan and the fans were saying make more trades, sign more people, these guys stink, get him more help. And that's that's a completely different message from, hey, I believe in you guys. I'm going to join this. So I believe we've got what it takes. Let's go get them. It just is a different message, right? So the Rockies are off to an 8-4 and four start. They beat the Philadelphia Phillies over this last three-game set. They did drop the final uh, game, the, the potential sweeper there, on an afternoon contest in a frustrating fashion. It was absolutely another one they could have won. And all four of their losses are, are games that they could have won, right? And so that continues to be an interesting trend as you go forward. But uh, Freeland did get his five innings pitched, two earned runs, so his best outing of the year so far in the middle game that ended up being, I guess you could call it the rubber match, is the one that, that swung it in the Rockies' favor, right? They get a, a big RBI night from C.J. Crone in that one. That, that, that was a fantastic game for him uh, with a pair of homers. Uh, and you get uh, a little shakiness this time out of tie block, but more fantastic stuff from Justin Lawrence and Daniel Bard with his fifth save of the season. The I, I keep wanting to say Sunday because I'm used to, you know, Sunday afternoon games, but it was the Wednesday afternoon game against the Phillies. Uh, a really tough one. You know, the Rockies take the 2 nothing lead early on on a Ryan McMahon double. Marquez uh, did not have his sharp stuff, but he was battling. You know, he was managing to get through some stuff, but then just ran into uh, trouble there in the fourth inning with a three spot. But then the Rockies come right back and and get right back on top and and you go oh my oh my gosh they, they actually answered uh, they're doing the thing and then opportunity to win the game pretty much falls apart uh, with Chassin loading up the bases Gilbreth making his debut and and having a pretty rough one there where uh, he plunks the lefty that he came in to get in Schwarber right and then gives up uh, the big big three run home run so it becomes a five run seventh inning and even though the Rockies did answer that with a pair in the bottom and had a chance to get more with runners out there. And he thought, man, are they still really going to come back and and make this a game and, and win this one? This team really does have a certain kind of extra fight to it, but it, it was not to be. They end up losing 9-6. to six. It, it more or less does come down to Chassin loading the bases and Gilbreth not being able to wriggle out of it right there. So uh, I think that really does count as your first 
actual bullpen implosion of the season, five runs in an inning. And again, that's what we've talked about, right? Those are the things that the Rockies bullpen needs to avoid. And you can't have, you're not going to have zero of them, but they need to have, that needs to happen very infrequently, right? It's going to happen at Coors Field more than anywhere else. Though a lot of that, you know, I'd have to go back and, and look at the inning. I felt like the, the base runners against Chassin were all pretty fair. And obviously the home run that Segura hit was on a slider that just sort of hung up there uh, from Gilbreth and his season debut. And I should mention uh, a nice season debut from Robert Stevenson or Bob Steve, as we like to call him here, um, after that. But yeah, so so that's why I make a big deal of the games when... Because uh, because look at this one right here, where the Rockies say if the bullpen gives up a run or two, and people want to go, oh man, you got to get rid of Estevez, or you got to get rid of Tyler Kinley, or you got to get rid of Chassin, or, or whatever it is, when they gave up a run or two, or when Daniel Bard, right, in Texas, he gives up the home run that blows the save, it drives you nuts, a two out, I think maybe even two strike home run where the game should have been over if he makes his pitch. And instead, now we got to go to extras. The Rockies still end up winning the game, but you're very frustrated in the closer, right? But you can live with that. The one run you can live with because the Rockies were still able to come back and win that game. And if you look right here, if if Chassin can allow one less base runner, if Gilbreth can minimize this the way you know other guys have been pretty good. And the Rockies have had pretty great luck of wriggling out of these bases loaded, one-out jams. So they were due for one of these to get away from them, and, and this was the one. But still, you know, if he gets Segura to roll that one over after having given up a run on the hit batsman, but he gets his double play right after that, and so the Phillies get one run there and then the Rockies answer with their two they're going to win the ball game so again assuming everything else plays out the way uh, you know normally which is not always a safe assumption but you get what I mean and that's why you know I, I do not make a huge deal when a reliever gives up a run and then finishes the inning uh, because that's going to happen and that is actually still kind of a successful outing especially at Coors Field um, no matter how frustrating it may be in the situation of the game, and let, you know, unless you're like, hey, he, he walked the bases loaded, and then and then walked one in, and then got out of it, and it was just one run. You know, there's obviously there's going to be exceptions to that rule, but for the most part, that's why I try to draw a big difference between the bullpen giving up a run or two, or even blowing a save, and a bullpen imploding. And the bullpen imploding has been crushing this team for the last two or three years and so far this is the first time this year that they've been gotten by it so they had already won the series so that's nice too that it happened and and all that it did was mean that you're not going to sweep the Phillies and and sweeping is tough the Rockies have yet to lose a series so far but now they go on the road so um We'll talk about that at the end, though. I'll get to the Tigers thing. Let's talk real quick about Brendan Rodgers. Again, continues to be in his slump to start the season. Uh, I know a lot of people are frustrated with him. Um, I know this is very much on brand for me, but I wanted to get into the the human element, as it were, the real human element of why I think it's really important to be patient with Brendan Rodgers. And a lot of you saw me tweet out Trevor Story's numbers in his sophomore season and how he was hitting a buck 60 with 44 strikeouts through his first 30 games in 2017. And I see a lot of similarities here with Brendan trying to do a lot, uh, trying, trying to hit, you know, pitches to the moon, trying to, you know, just, just pressing a bit there. There's a reason that term exists in the game of baseball. He's, he's very clearly 
pressing, but he didn't lose all of his talent. Uh, he's been a slow starter at times in the past, even in the minor leagues uh, and in other major league seasons, even last year when he ended up having a really good year. So beyond all of that, to believe that, hey, you, you got to continue to put him in the lineup, even if you move him down, which Buddy has continued to do, move him further and further down the lineup. But you got to keep him in there. You got to continue to give him a batch. You've got to let him work through this. You've got to give every opportunity for this kid's right, kid. He's not a kid anymore for this young man's talent to shine through because the talent is absolutely there. My friend he made a phenomenal defensive play during that Philly set. He's got the skills. The right-handed bat speed is ridiculous. His numbers in the minors speak for themselves. And yeah, it is a different thing to do it at the bigs. But I want you to think about this for a second. From the time Brendan Rodgers was five years old until he reached the major leagues, he was the best player on his team. Basically, no questions asked. Now, I don't, I mean, I wasn't there in T ball. Maybe he was a slow starter. I, I can't say that for sure. But certainly by the time he got to high school, right? Brendan Rodgers was the third overall pick in the major league baseball draft. Out of high school. That means that at his school, he wasn't just the best player on his team. He wasn't even just the best player in the state of Florida. When Brendan Rodgers was in high school, he was the best player in the country. And everybody knew it. He's the best player on the team. Then he gets drafted by the Colorado Rockies. Goes to Grand Junction. You know what he is in Grand Junction? He's the best player on the team. And he goes to Asheville. Best player on the team. Can't remember if he did the high A thing or what they even were when he was there or not. Screw it. He goes to Hartford. He's the best player on the team. He goes to Albuquerque, and unless, you know, Trevor Story happened to be rehabbing or something like that, and look at Brendan Rodgers' numbers in Albuquerque when Brendan Rodgers was in Triple A, he was the best player on the team. So this young man has gone his entire life always being the best player on his baseball team. And then he gets to the big leagues. And there's a reason people emphasize it that way, the big leagues, right? Like, like that's why it's called that. Because now, at this exact moment in time, Brendan Rodgers happens to be the worst player on his team. Now, I don't think that's going to continue. I think he's going to get there. I think he's going to be fine. And I still think there's the chance that there's a... I still think there's a star player in there if he can find it. But think about how difficult of a mental challenge that would be. You know, again, a lot of people like to talk about the human element of the game as though somebody inaccurately applying the rule book is is somehow really cool, like human element and emotion. No, this is the human element of the game. These guys are not robots. These guys are not machines. Brandon's eating it right now, but he's not beating himself up over it. He's not screaming at the media or at his teammates or hanging his head. He's going out there and he's going to find a way to make it work. But I think everyone should understand through these first handful of games, barely anything here just yet, right? How difficult it is for someone who's been through all of that and all of a sudden is just on the, the other end of the spectrum and has never really had to figure their way out of the tunnel like this before. 
right? His his smattering of plate appearances where his numbers weren't great over the first little bit of his career where he got hurt a couple times. Like, none of that counts. None of that was an extended slump. That was him barely getting to sniff the big leagues and and then going back down and raking at AAA, right? That's, that's, this is different than that. And just like Trevor's story, he's going to need to find his own way out of it. And the only thing that his manager and coaches, and I mean, there's a lot of stuff coaches can do little things here and there, but the only thing his manager really can do right now is keep him in the lineup. And I know Rockies fans out there are tempted to want to bench him or pinch hit for him in important situations. And you can't do that. You can't like for a guy who's searching for his confidence for, you need him to come through with that big hit with the guy on base. So he drives in the tying run. And if he's got that opportunity and you pull him out of the game to put in, who, what to give Alan Trejo his his clutch at bat? You know what you know what that would do. What would that do to your confidence? You're trying to find your way out of it, and I know everybody wants to win as many ball games as possible, but it's early. Rockies are playing well. You don't need to risk messing up one of the most valuable potential assets in your entire organization to try to win an April ball game that you might win anyway and that you might win with him. You know? You you need Rodgers. And I, I saw it because he came up, I can't remember what it was, and, and I saw some people, and, I, and it was an interesting question because he came up, you know, with a chance to, I think, tie the ball game up in that loss to the Phillies. And look, if it was a postseason game, if it was a wild card game and he was hitting how he's hitting right now, you pinch hit for him there 100 times out of 100. You don't let him take that at bat. But that that's not where we are. You, you can't play it that way, in my opinion. You've, you've got to play the long game here. Uh, you've got to pace yourself. And at this point, you almost want Rodgers coming to the plate with the tying run at second because that's the moment you need him to come through and break him out of all of this. Nice little hard line drive single to right field that brings in the tying run, and I think he turns a corner. So the last thing you want to do is take those opportunities away from him. All right, I was thinking about talking about uh, Charlie Blackman and the DH and and that whole thing a little bit more, but I'm going to leave that for another time and just get into this Tigers series preview and wrap it up. Got three games against the Detroit Tigers uh, coming in with Antonio Senzatella versus Tariq Skubal. It should be an interesting one. Uh, Skubal, big, powerful, left-handed uh, fastball coming in at, at high 90s, 25-year-old with uh, not a ton of experience, had a decent year. Uh, last year for the Detroit Tigers, 149 innings pitched, a 4.34 ERA, which puts them right at a league average ERA plus of 100. Uh, some good strikeout stuff in there. Uh, he w- he's been pretty good so far in his 9.2 innings this year, uh, giving up four earned runs, uh, but six runs total on 11 hits the Rockies uh, obviously have a lineup that is tough on lefties where you've only got Charlie Blackman and Ryan McMahon both of whom while they're not you know right now 
the best hitting. In fact, they might be two of the worst hitting guys in the lineup right now for the Rockies. Neither one of them has super strong splits. In fact, over the years, Blackman and McMahon have really managed to do a pretty good job of putting up good numbers against left-handed pitchers. And then, of course, everybody else in there is going to be a righty. So that's going to be interesting for the Rockies uh, to go out there. They've got another lefty. In fact, they'll have two of them with uh, Scooball in the first game and Tyler Alexander going in the third game. So the Rockies will be able to use their right-handed heavy lineup to their advantage in both of those games. you got to figure that means Sam Hilliard is going to make his appearance in the series in the second game against right-handed pitcher Bo Brisky, I think, uh, who will be making his season debut against the Rockies. Uh, one of the things we always, of course, keep our eyes on uh, with these younger pitchers who the Rockies have not seen before in the past, that's been an issue for them. Now, we know that they've got, uh, you know, different types of players uh, around now. Again, I just wrote about the the CJ Crone thing. And so we'll see if some of the, you know, Randall Gritchick, uh, some of these guys, th- th- this is really going to be our, our first test of a couple of big things here uh, that, you know, how they handle these younger pitchers who they haven't seen before, which used to be a big problem with the previous generation of Rockies hitters were very studious. And and oftentimes, you know, if they didn't have a book on a guy would struggle a little bit, Uh, but then you've also of course got the big question in the air about the hangover effect. Uh, The, the good start is all well and good. Uh, I'm actually going to work on a piece, I think for mile high sports uh, because the, the whole like, the Rockies always start out good, but then they have a June swoon thing. Like, I'm not entirely sure where that came from because statistically speaking, it's not true. I need to compile all the stats, but when you look at it, like over their history, even over their recent history, like the Rockies haven't necessarily been better in April than in any other months, and they haven't been worse in June than in any of their other months. I. I suspect if I may play a little bit of psychiatrist on a broad group of people here that it's just people remember more the seasons where Rockies in general get off to a pretty good or decent start and then fall apart because they get hyped or they get anticipation or they get excited or whatever and then they get disappointed, they get let down and they don't, you know, and they remember that feeling and that frustration Um but they seem to forget any of the other seasons where, you know, it goes completely the other way. Like the Rockies got off to an awful start last year, an absolutely terrible one. And then they had, you know, a pretty good finish to the season. Uh, two of the Rockies' best seasons in franchise history are obviously known for remarkable finishes where they actually had to recover from a pretty bad start in both 2007 and especially 2009. They got off to such a bad start in 2009, they had to fire their manager who had taken them to the World Series just a couple of years before and put in, like, Jim Tracy, who just wasn't going to bother anybody. And then that team won, like, 58 games in a row or something stupid like that. Like, they went on a ridiculous run. Uh, You know, so I I think it's just what people's brains tend to latch on to a little bit more one way or the other. But this notion that the Rockies are historically or even recently a team that gets off to good starts, but then totally falls apart when June comes around. Like, I also think that's probably just some of the nature of baseball. It's a streaky game. You know, you're not going to play at a blistering pace all season, uh, especially not the Rockies, who are going to have to deal with things like the hangover effect and and the grind of going to and from Coors over 162. And so that's going to be a big, big thing I'm looking at for this entire road trip. Just can they find ways to score some runs? You know, two games in Texas doesn't really count as a road trip. 
this is this is a real one now. They're they're going away from Coors for several games here. Uh, you know, I think it'd be nice to see them go four and three. I suspect they go three and four, but you call that a success. That that's a fantastic success for your team if you can manage to do that. I think they're due to get some good starting pitching. Uh, to, to go a little bit deeper. These guys need to lock it in. They need to give that bullpen a little bit of a break. Uh, but but the lineup is something I'm really, really going to have my eye on because if they can go out and produce some runs, not big. I'm not looking for big games. The Rockies have a hard time putting a five or six or seven spot on the board when they go away from Coors Field. And it's not because they're not talented hitters. We, again, we've talked about this a lot, the hangover effect. But finding a way to get those professional at-bats to get the runners that when you do get a leadoff double to find a way to get that guy in or or to find your way into if if this is the formula for this team which I think it very much is that three run homer you know we haven't really seen that much yet CJ Crone has had the big big home run moments but we're still looking for Bryant and Grichik and some of these other guys to get hot with the home run ball a little bit, right? Diaz I, I think has got more slugging in there and if that's going to be the way you succeed, they're going to need those because if you get good pitching, a three-run home run can win you a baseball game, but they need them. Uh, So that's the thing I'm watching most closely this road trip is how this version of the the revamped Rockies offense can handle the road, the hangover, the whole thing. Some of these guys are new to it. Uh, Some of these guys have been dealing with it for a little while. Either way, this is the first real big test of the season. Let's see what they can do. All right. Thank you all so much for listening in. Let me know if you've got any questions for me by hitting me up on Twitter at Drew Creaseman. You can also always slide into my DMs and ask me about the private Discord channel or talking Rockies baseball 24-7 and just being non-toxic and enjoying each other's company. Also, make sure that you're reading all of the written material on MileHighSports.com and you're making sure that you're subscribed to all of the other podcasts on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I thank you all for continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.